because I know that every time I walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I say, my name's Jason Johnson, I'm an alcoholic. My grandma gets to see that. I know that every time I see a newcomer or a new person in there and I walk up to him and ask him if I can get a, coffee, a cup of coffee or sit by him, grandma sees that. And I know that when I die, I'm going to go to that big meeting in the sky they talk about. I'm going there because I want to make sure there's a bill of Bob and a Jesus. If those three aren't there, I'm going to let somebody know. But I know who's going to be in the parking lot waiting for me. It'll be my grandparents. They'll be waiting out there. And I know if you're, my grandpa thinks if you're not a half hour early, you're late. So I don't know how you can be early, late to your own death, but he'll wave at me because he doesn't think I ever know where I'm going. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings, y'all, from Studio AA Deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice again of Mr. Jason J that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 317 and you will be hearing so much more from him in un momento but first things first this here episode is brought to you by or what do they say on television this episode is made possible by I like that. I may start using that more. This episode is made possible by Mo and Dave and Michelle and Marie and Adrian. What, you may ask, did Mo and Dave and Michelle and Marie and Adrian do? Well, they went to our humble little website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Mo and Dave and Michelle and Marie and Adrian. This here episode is coming right out to you. And as always, we're going to let the other folks listen on in, but it's coming right out to you. And thank you so, so much for your generosity. All right, so we're going to get right into it today. This is the second part of Jason J. He, we, we talked about several things last work in the first part, and this kind of wraps up his story. This here episode, we're calling, well, we're calling it Jason J part two, but also, I guess you'd call it a subtitle. Would that be what it's called or something like that? Anyway, this one's called Bill Bob and Jesus. <laughs> so anyway, uh, as we mentioned last week, Jason is from the Portland, Oregon, Oregon, excuse me, somebody, every time I say Oregon, I guess somebody write in and say, no, it's Oregon, like G-U-N. Anyway, from the Oregon, Portland, Oregon area, he says, uh, 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 so we ended last week, um, uh, if I remember right, with Jason's journey into Alcoholics Anonymous, he had met his father, uh, who he had not seen in many, many years. Jason wasn't even sure if it was his father or not. Uh, in this episode, we discuss uh, a new acronym from Jason. It's a S. Well, I say new. It's not a new acronym. It is a new acronym to moi, to me. Uh, it's called S-S-A-L. That stands for sit down, shut up, and listen. And he talks about that in here. We talk about the definition of what he calls 
not agains. And you'll have to hear that to see what he's talking about. The spiritual lessons that Jason learned uh, when his daughter got a tattoo, I can relate to that one. Uh, Jason's amends to his grandparents who were so important to him in his life and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give to you or uh, without further ado, I present to you or without further ado, here is, ladies and gentlemen, Jason J. And we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy. Right. And what I realized today that he was doing a night stuff in Alcoholics Anonymous when he came to pay back that child support. He had three and a half years at that time, right? But he was an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was going to meetings, mm-hmm. he was doing that. And what he did, man, is he took me, he picked me up and he took me to, look, this is the funny part. You know, it was kind of funny, right? So, you know, uh, when I was probably, I don't know, my grandma used to always tell me God never says no. He either says yes, not right now, or I got something better. She used to always tell me that, right? Because when I didn't get my way, that's, I thought, ah, that's stupid. But I'm here to tell you, 29 years later, I'm sitting on my grandparents' front porch, right? Well, so it started out like when I remember being a little kid, being in the fourth or third or fourth grade, sitting on that front porch on Friday nights, waiting for my grandma or my mom or my dad to come pick me up, right? And I remember one Friday sitting on there till the streetlight came back on. And I came in the house and I went in and I told my grandma, hey, I'm not going to go to Sunday school anymore. She goes, why is that? I said, I've been praying to that Jesus guy every day for two weeks that my mom and my dad would come pick me up and take me for the weekend. And they ain't showing. So I don't think he likes me. So I'm not going anymore. And I remember my grandma sitting there and I could hear her saying, God never says no. He either says, yes, yeah, not right now or I got something better. And she says, sweetie, if you don't want to go to Sunday school, you don't have to. And I remember going and sitting on my grandpa's lap on his rocking chair. And I said, Grandpa, I don't want to sit on that front porch anymore. And he said, buddy, you never have to sit on that front porch again if you don't want to. And I said, okay. 29 years later, I'm sitting on that same front porch, right? Waiting for Mm -hmm. members of Alcoholics Anonymous to come pick me up. And it's not like today where they call you or text you, hey, we're here. They start honking like two blocks away, right? To let everybody (laughs) know that. Jason's going to AA and that the neighborhood's going to be safe for 45 minutes or whatever, right? But here's the deal. I, that car pulls up and I run down there and you know who's there to pick me up? It's my dad. Right? Wow. God either says yes, not right now, or I got something better. If I would have met him any other time in between, then I wouldn't be sitting here today, right? And he took me to this meeting. It was called Mole Patrol. I met this girl there. I kissed her. She got pregnant and she got divorced. And then we got married, right? And, uh, that's not how you do recovery, but I guess if you're in Portland, that's how it works, right? And, uh, you know, for the next, my life changed, right? I mean, I was going to meetings and stuff like that, but I was, I got to the point for my first three years, I didn't have a sponsor. I was only going to one meeting a month. It was called SSAL. It was called, it was a speaker's meeting. It was like four or 500, maybe 600 people. It was standing for sit down, shut up and listen. They'd fly speakers in, you know, and, and I, I was the raffle chair, right? I, uh. The only reason I went to that meeting is because I was stealing half the money, which I had to pay back because of sponsorship too. So you got to really watch who you get sponsored. <laughs> and, and if you ever admit, which you probably will if you do the steps, that you stole money from a meeting, don't round up, right? Because I probably stole $25 a month. I told my sponsor I stole the 100 He started from the day I started on the committee. I ended up having to pay $3,200 back to a meeting that's probably never collected $3,200 in three years, right? <laughs> But, uh, so you got to watch how you embezzle yeah. the story, right? But so I, I'm going to this meeting, it's a Saturday and I don't want to go, right? And so, and I tell my wife, I get in an argument with her and I told her I wanted a divorce and she said, no, I didn't know you could just say no. I thought you had to get attorneys and stuff like that. She said, I'm going to the meeting, maybe you should go, you're the raffle chair. And I said, screw that. So she left and I did what every good alcoholic does and when he's getting ready to leave AA, I went and got a big book and a Bible and I wrote a resignation letter to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And I dated it and I signed it. And the, the sad part is, is the, these guys still pass it around on my birthday, but that's a whole nother story. But so I write this letter. Would you, would just back up real quick. I just, so you wrote a resignation letter. So like, how did that formulate in your mind? When you only go to one meeting a month, you don't really catch on to AA, right? I thought it was like the Elks or something. I don't know. I just figured that I had a service position there. I wanted out of that service position. It was AA, so I was just going to 
so I got some quotes out of the Bible and I got some quotes out of the big book and I dated it and I signed it. And I was, I took it to this guy, John B. John B. I thought was the president of AA in Oregon. That's how bad I was, right? Because he had all these notigans, right? You guys call them pigeons or sponsies or whatever. I call them yeah. notigans, right? Like when you go to a meeting and there's a whole bunch of greeters out there and you're like, good God, not again. That's his guys, right? <laughs> or they get called on in the meeting. They talk about God, sponsorship, the allergy of the body, the session of the mind. They talk about their sponsor. I mean, stuff has absolutely nothing to do with AA when you get sober, right? So I just, <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know there were sponsies or pigeons or ducklings or whatever. I just called them not against because every time they got, I saw them, I was like, good God, not again. They're going to do something, right? <laughs> and, and John sponsored, you know, they're all his, right? So I figured he was the president of AA and he was the chair of this meeting, big speaker meeting. So it's a Saturday night. There's four or 500 people, maybe 600 people in this meeting. I walk up to the very front and I hand him my resignation letter, right? He opens it up and reads it and he starts laughing, like really loud, right? <laughs> and all these notigans are swarming around and they're passing my letter around and they're laughing and more people are coming. And there was quite a few people up front, right? And uh, I'm just sweating, right? You know, I mean, this is way past anything I was anticipating. And all of a sudden, John said, no. I said, what do you mean? No, he goes, I'm not going to allow you to leave Alcoholics Anonymous. And what accidentally came out of my mouth is, will you sponsor me? Man, he quit laughing just like that, right? He said, are you willing to go to any link? For this is a trick question. Are you willing to go to any link for victory over alcohol? I didn't know that was going to hurt me come step eight. I said, yes. And he said, well, this is what you're going to need to do. He said, you're going to have to pray twice a day. You're going to get on your knees in the morning and you're going to say, please help. Thank you. Amen. At night, you're going to get on your knees and say, thanks. I said, should I ask for sobriety? He says, you got way more problems than drinking. Just go with that. I said, all right. He said, you're going to call me every morning at 6 a.m. for the next 90 <laughs> days. You're going to read two pages out of the big book for the rest of your sobriety every day. And you're going to go to five meetings a week to where I'm at. I'm like, holy mackerel, five meetings in one week. I've been doing one a month, right? And then he said, I couldn't drink in between meetings. And I said, I said, okay, right? Because I didn't know anything else. And so, you know what? It, it, within 30 days, I was a nodigan. My job in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was a greeter. I was at the front of the line. My job in AA was I had to shake every lady's hand that walked through that door, shake their hand and look them in the eye and make sure they felt comfortable and felt safe. And every man that walked through the door, I had to hug them and tell them I'm doing better every day in every way. Very uncomfortable, very unnecessary, very bizarre to me. But I did it. (laughs) Unnecessary and bizarre. And and my life life got better, right? I, I just... You know, I did pretty good, but here's what happens to a guy like me. At nine years of sobriety, say about eight and a half, man, I just couldn't stand people in AA anymore. I couldn't stand my home group. I couldn't stand AA. I could, because man, it's the same thing over and over. I know when somebody's birthday, their kids are going to show up. Everybody's going to love them. If this person does that, if that person gets called on it, it's just like, you know, Charlie Brown, wah, 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 right? <laughs> and so I started, I started getting judgments and I sat in the back of the room and I, and, and I came up with this idea. I thought I'd start selling drugs. Right. And, and I know that's a bizarre thing and nobody's ever thought that in the recovery. But at nine years of sobriety, I thought selling drugs would be the best. I'd be good at it. Right. And so I started. Any particular I drugs or. Meth, right. And so I. Uh, <laughs> oh, on, on March, right up at the top of the food yeah, chain. March 1st, 2007, <laughs> I had bought a car and I took it to this place called Les Schwab and put some wheels and tires on this car. And I'm pulling out and a wheel falls off and I crash. And they said, that's all right. It was a mistake in our thing. We'll rent you a car till we get it fixed, right? I said, great. And they rented me this Chrysler 300. It looked like a Rolls Royce. It said Hemi on the side. You know, I thought I had arrived and I got in this car and I went and counted my money with somebody else. And I went and met this guy I'd been meeting every day for about a year. And and I got a hundred, you know, the police report says 157 grams of meth, but I have a small basketball size of methamphetamines. And I'm driving down this road that in this car that I've only been in for like one other time. And all of a sudden, all these cop cars swarm my car. And I don't mean cop cars with lights. I mean, just cars coming from everywhere. Everybody's got a gun. It's all pointed at my car. And, and I'm just sitting there. And I didn't know what to do with this, you know, this methamphetamines. I mean, it was like a small basketball. So I figured, well, I have a valid driver's license, proof of insurance. So it's a rental car. And I haven't had a drink or drug in like nine years. I'll just put it under the front seat and say it came with the car right? I should be able to talk my way out of that, right? And so I, I put it underneath the front seat and, I, and I'm sitting there and this officer finally walks up and he taps on the window and I roll it down because I didn't want them to know I knew they were there. And uh, he said, Jason, which is a really bad sign. He didn't even ask me for any ID. He said, can you shut the car off and come step up on the curb? And I said, yeah. You know, and I shut that car off and I open up that door to get out. And as I get out, I hear, a, I look down and the seat's moving back all by itself. 
I've never oh, had a car no. with a memory seat, right? And you can't, it's going back <laughs> and you can't yell do over or time out and you can't reach underneath <laughs> the seat and try to push your drugs, right? And so I'm standing there and I'm just going to tell you, I was, I said, oh crap, right? <laughs> I, I probably said a lot more like that. Like, come on, man. And the seat went all the way back and my dope's in the middle of the floor. And so I just shut the door and hope they didn't see it. And they did. And I got charged with commercial delivery, commercial possession, racketeering, intimidation of a federal witness and a gun charge with nine years of sobriety. Going to meet wow. Alcoholics Anonymous, man, and my life crashed, right? I, uh, I got... You know, I, I put a needle in my arm and I started doing things and, and my wife divorced me, which I thought at that time was a very poor call on her behalf. Today, I realized that was the best call she's ever made. She has remarried me. We're married today. I think was a great call, but AA in my area is like, you had a way out. Why would you marry that guy again for Christ's sake? You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I burned it to the ground. I put, I never had put any like needle in my arm or anything. And, and, and it just, you know, when you have everything and you blow it all away, on a decision making and you realize look what, what happened to me is i got sentenced to 48 months in prison and my first three weeks were in the hole because i tell people this all the time if you ever get arrested in the state of oregon the sheriff's office has been running the jail system since the 1800s they don't need your opinion right when i first got in there i, I, I mentioned something and i got put in the hole for three weeks but here's what happened when i was locked up all by myself for the first time I, would, I, I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of fear and I was scared to death. I got on my knees in that cell and I said, please help. Thank you. Amen. And I got on my bunk. And if I got any kind of relief, I got back down on my knees and I said, thanks. I kept doing that over and over. And, and what happened is about three or four days into that, I finally admitted to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic. I didn't tell anybody else. I didn't have to share it with anybody. I admitted to my innermost self and God that I'm an alcoholic and my life changed like that. You know, at three months and 27 days, I, uh, got released because some judges in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous got another judge to sign a piece of paper and I got a suspended sentence, which means I had to do the rest of my time in the state of Oregon and then I had to do parole. And all I had to do is get sober and get a job. And I've been an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous in good standing since 11.30.07. Now, you know what they say, I have friends all over the world, just none at home, right? So if you came to my home group, they're not too impressed about what I do with my life, right? But I've been an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous in good standing. And what's happened is I've, I've built my relationships back, right? One of the most important things, right, was, uh, you know, what, the lowest part for me when I was, when I relapsed and I put a needle in my arm, I remember the lowest part for me was one, one day, Julie would let me come over and see my daughter who was seven years old at the time. And, uh, if it looked like I was okay, but she knew I'd been sleeping in the bushes, so she let me take a shower. So, just I want to I want to back up okay. there real quick with the the marriage and and the kids. Yeah. So apparently, tell me about the relationship. I mean, when when did you get married to her? When did the kids come along? And how has that kind of well, played when out? When I first met her, she had eight years. I had about two weeks. We kissed. She got pregnant. We ended up with a kid. So in nineteen, we ended up with a kid in I think. 2099. My daughter was born in 99. I came into AA the end of December 29th, 1997. And we, but we didn't get married till two, we had a kid in 99. We didn't get married till 2000. Then in 2007, when I went off the deep end, she, re, she divorced me. And then we, we were only, I was in jail. And I, when I got released from jail, I went to live at her house in a spare bedroom. And so how long were you actually divorced? Uh, well, on paper, probably three years, but we dated for I lived, we dated for three years, right? So I had to start all over, right? I had to kind of, I had to, you know, luckily for Al-Anon and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and a God, that's how I know there's a God, right? Because so she attends Al-Anon, it sounds like? She's an AA. Oh, she's an AA. Yeah, okay. but Al-Anon, okay. when I was going off the sideways, I think, what do they say? Al-Anon, uh, AA got me back in the house. Back in the bed, and Alanon got me back on the couch. That's kind of yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what happened is, you know, we just started getting back together, and we've been together ever since. I mean, so basically, we weren't. I would say when I was locked up, and three months after I got out, we weren't in any kind of relationship, right? Because in uh, when I or so from when I got busted to when I got released, we were got. So I say probably <laughs> six, seven months that we were not communicating. But she would let me come over and see my daughter right? Who I only have, we only have one kid, but she was like seven or eight at the time. And she let me come see her if it looked like I was normal. And she'd let me shower at her house. And I remember for me, my lowest part in my, my relapse was, I remember I come out of that shower and when my daughter was born, my wife and I started saving all the quarters with states on the back. You know, when they started doing that on the, all the quarters, they had all the states from everything. And we mm -hmm. were saving them in these buckets. 
And we had two or three of these little buckets full of quarters. And I remember I come out of the shower and here comes my wife and my daughter. My wife has all these empty buckets. And she said, you stole your daughter's money. Who steals a little kid's money? Right. But when you're in an addiction, you can rationalize. My best thinking is you wouldn't have that money if I hadn't put it in there. Right. But what happened, what got me is my daughter is tugging on my my wife's pants saying, please don't make my daddy leave. I let him borrow it. And when she said Mm. that, man, it just it, it nutted me up, man. And that was the part that really drove it like I'm a piece of crap. Right. And I went and I did what I did. And, you know, so when I got released, I had to get back into that house, you know, and, and I had to start learning how to be a father and I had to do certain things. Look, and, and today, like my daughter just t- got her master's in. She's getting ready to become an attorney. She wants to be a, uh, a Supreme Court judge or a drug court judge. Right. But the funny thing is, is her life is so much better. And I remember about last year, there was a bunch of sorority girls over at our house and I'm walking through the thing and they're trying to talk my daughter into being president of the United States because Portland State's running this thing and they want her to run for president of the United States. And so as I'm running through, I heard president of the United States. I said, hey, can I have a cabinet position? And she said, no, <laughs> right? I was like, what do you mean? No, she goes, no, absolutely not. You're not having a cabinet position if I'm president. I said, well, what am I, what am I gonna do? She goes, well, you could be a greeter. I was like, sweet, so I'm gonna be a greeter at the White House, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I tell everybody, if my daughter makes it present, you got to get there fast because I probably won't have the job long. But uh, but I remember those little girls sitting there, and one of those girls asked my daughter, she said, uh, do you think your past, your dad's past is going to be a, a negative for you? And she, my daughter, without even hesitating, said, my dad's past is my greatest asset, right? And and that's, and that's how she got her scholarships. That's how she didn't. She went in and said, hey, we, she's walked through that process, right? She's got to see that. You know, and the story everybody likes me to tell is like, I remember when my daughter was 17 years old, my wife came to me and she said, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go on vacation. I said, sweet, where are we going? She said, Canada. I said, I can't go to Canada. She said, we know. And so away they went, right, without me. So <laughs> I'm dog sitting, which my wife says, you don't dog sit your own dogs. You, you, you take care of them, but I'm dog sitting <laughs> my dogs and, and they're gone for like two weeks and they come back and, uh. My daughter goes straight to her room and my wife comes in the kitchen and says, hey, we need to talk. I said, sure. What's that about? She goes, I need to, I need to share something with you, but you can't overreact. You can't blow up. You know, this is a big deal. And I said, fine, give it to me. I can handle anything. She said, when Bailey and I were in Canada, Bailey got a tattoo. I wasn't ready for that. I saw stripper poles. I saw tramp stamps. I saw Aerosmith <laughs> videos. I'm telling you, I went batshit crazy. I, I lost it, man. I started calling her names and telling her we're getting a divorce. She's going to jail. How am I going to get that tattoo off her back? And, and man, I'm just, I'm a maniac, right? And she's not listening to me. So I get upstairs and my daughter's sitting there and I just gave her everything I had, right? I called her every name in the book. I told her what she, she ruined her life. I mean, I, I was just an ass, right? And, and she's just crying. So nothing's there. So I'm going back down to getting, you know, cause I got to work on my divorce. And this is when my wife and I story different when she tells it. She says she told me to get out of the house. I told her I was going for a drive. But what I did is I got in my car and I called an Al-Anon, right? An Al-Anon I love and adore because I figured, you know, when you tell an alcoholic a, a problem, they give you the solution before you're even done telling the problem. But an Al-Anon, I think, I don't know what they do. I don't know if they write it down. I don't know if they text it out. I don't know if they share it with other. But it took like two or three miles before she finally said that what she's heard, right? Because I remember I kept telling, hey, Bailey took... Julie took Bailey to Canada. They got a tattoo. I need to get it removed. I need to get a divorce and I need to get Julie arrested. What do I do? <laughs> Nothing from this lady, right? For like three miles. And finally she, she said, you want to know what I heard? I said, well, yeah, what did you hear? Right? Because she's on my speakerphone in my car. She goes, well, what I just heard is you just told your daughter she's not beautiful and any decisions she makes are not going to be to your standards. And uh, her body's your body. I mean, she said a lot. It made me sound really bad, right? The stuff she said made me look, kind of look like an ass, right? And so... I said, well, I didn't mean that. And she goes, I know you didn't mean it, Jason. I go, what do I got to do? She said, you got to invite God. To, she said, you got to go back and make it right. And I remember hearing her husband in the background going, you better invite God to go with you. So I'm driving down the road going like this, right? Because I don't need no help from AA. <laughs> and I got to my house and I remember sitting in that driveway waiting and praying. I invited God to go with me. I went in that house and uh, I told my wife I overreacted. She said, you did. I said, I need to go talk to Bailey. Goes, she goes, you do. And I remember going upstairs and I opened the door and my daughter's sitting there crying at 17 years old still crying. And I had to tell her, I'm sorry, man. I mean, I'm an ass, right? I, I didn't mean any of that. I don't care what you do with your body. I don't care what you, who you love. I don't care your political views. All you need to know is I love you and you're the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And uh, she goes, I know dad. And she goes, we knew you were going to overreact. And I said, well, then I became a victim again. I was like, well, couldn't you text me or something? And she goes, you want to see the tattoo? And I'm like, 
Sure. Uh, her shirt on the side of her chest is an AA symbol and it says one day at a time, right? And there's a hand going like uh, this and a hand going like this, right? My first thought is, God, I hope you're not an alcoholic. What's with the AA symbol? And two, what's with the praying hands? We're not Catholic, but I didn't say anything. She said, you want to know what it means? And I said, sure. She goes, if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, you and mom would have never met and I wouldn't be here. And the hand going like this is your hand, mom's hand because she's always serving the coffee and making the cookies. And the hand like this is yours, dad, because you're always going to Alcoholics Anonymous and, 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 and welcoming a new guy and giving him a hand up. So now I'm sitting <sighs> on the edge of the bed crying, right? And this lady, yeah. Polly P, told me that was God kicking me in the nuts. But that's the program of Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous, right? When I do those things, my life gets better, you know, and, and my life got better. You know, the most important thing you need to get out of my thing is I had to make amends to my grandparents, right? And that's one of the things you have to do in recovery, right? And, and, and that's, that's where it, that's the, that's where you get the goosebumps and you feel it, right? And, uh, so my grandma had passed and I had to go to my grandpa to, to make amends. And I get to my grandpa's house and I tell my grandpa, I said, Hey, Gramps, I'm in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, blah, blah, blah. And I need to make this amends to you. And I, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I stole a lot of money and borrowed a lot of money from you and grandma. He goes, Oh, I know. I said, I don't know how much. He goes, I do. And he went in my grandma's room and he came back with these spiral notebooks. And they were dated like 1976. Jason borrowed 25 cents. Jason mowed the lawn, has 10 cents credit. <laughs> every contract, every IOU, every nickel, dime, pin, anything I borrowed, she had written like the mob, right? Every dated and, and, uh, right? And there's like, there's like maybe eight or nine of these spiral notebooks back to back, right? And I'm just sitting there. I go, man, I can't pay all this back. He goes, oh, I know you can't. And, uh, I go, what can I do to make it right? And he said, uh, yeah, I just keep helping people. I said, great. But I started looking at him because it's like going through like a, a, a journal of your life, right? Just a train wreck journal. I mean, I paid money back, but I, I borrowed and stole a lot of stuff. And in, in this one section in 1984, it said, Jason stole $5. Jason stole $5. Jason stole $5. So I asked my grandpa, I said, hey, it says right here, in, I stole $5. How do you know it was me? He goes, that's an easy one. He goes, every, every Thursday night, I put $5 in the coffee cup in the hutch and every Friday morning it was gone. Who do you think stole it, Grandma? I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it was me. And, and this is the guy I thought was always out to gate me and hated me, right? And I said, Grandpa, if you knew I stole it, why didn't you tell me to stop? And he, and he looked at me and said, you know what, Jason? He goes, stealing isn't wrong until it's wrong to you. And I'd rather you steal from me than our neighbors or your friends. That's the guy I thought was out to get me, right? That's the guy that I thought hated me, right? And he had my back. And I, and I got in my car and I called my sponsor and he said, how much do you have to pay back? And he said, I said, nothing. I just had to help people. So I went back, right? And told my grandpa, hey, that's not going to work. We have to come up with something. <laughs> and I found out that he, uh, he, he, he wasn't ever going to pay for TV. And I asked him, can I get you some cable TV? And he said, ah, I guess, I don't care. And so I ordered him cable TV and it got hooked up. And a couple of weeks after getting cable TV, I remember he called me and we started talking about Pawn Stars and ESPN and the History Channel and all that stuff, right? And... And we talked for about 45 minutes an hour, just about TV, being on 24 hours a day. Couldn't believe it. And, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. At the end of that conversation, he says to me, he said, this is the coolest gift anybody's ever gotten me. That was me making amends to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Changed me. You know, the, the amends to my grandma. I mean, imagine there's people on here that are just don't know how to make amends to somebody that's passed, right? And I had a hard time with that. I wrote letters. I went to the grave site. I looked for dragonflies, butterflies everything right trying to find something to get that relief right and i just couldn't get i get i get sparks i mean i and people a lot of people in aa helped me but i just couldn't kill that ache sometimes when i would feel it i just start crying because i couldn't believe i treated somebody that i loved that much that way and then one day i'm flying home and i'm on this plane from come back from a conference about six seven years ago and i this guy sends me this story because he knows i'm the kind of guy if you give me clear-cut directions i sometimes ha 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 but if you tell me a story and i can feel it I believe it, right? And you, I can buy into it. And there's this story about this little boy and uh, he was the first born in his family and uh, his sisters were born and his dad started paying attention to his sisters and he got really jealous. So he asked his mom and dad if he could play football because he knew his dad loved football. And they said, yeah. And they signed him up and right away, this young man knew this is a bad idea. He's not a football player. He's a trumpet player, right? But he played football because after every practice and every game, his dad would come find him and give him a hug and tell him he loved him and how proud he was of him. So the kid kept playing even though he didn't like the sport. And his senior year, his team's going to the state championship, and it's a couple of days before, a couple of weeks before the big game, and 
Coach calls him over at practices and says, son, I don't know how to tell you this, but your dad had a heart attack today and he didn't make it. And the young man hit his knees and is crying and everybody gathered around him. He got up and he asked the coach, is it okay if I go home a little early today? And the coach says, man, this is just a game. Go home and take care of your family. Don't worry about football. Don't worry about this. Take care of your family. And so the young man goes home and two weeks later, the big game comes and the kid doesn't show up till the, after the halftime, like the third quarter and his team's losing really bad. And he jogs out there and everybody's cheering because they know the story. And he runs up to the coach and he asks the coach, hey, can I play? And the coach is like, whatever, you're, you know, you're the worst player, but we're losing anyway. Might as well go in. Everybody wants you to play anyway. So he puts him in there and the kid intercepts the ball and he runs it back for a touchdown. Then he makes some tackles and he scores again. And then he ends up winning the game for his team, right? And everybody, they carry him off like a Rudy moment, right? And so the coach is just doesn't know what just happened, right? So that night as the coach is leaving the locker room, he sees a young man sitting by himself in the back and he walks over and he tells him, man, take as long as you want. And the young man says, thanks. The coach says, hey, I need to ask you something. He says, I've been coaching you for a few years now and you're not really the best athlete I've ever coached. What happened out there tonight? That was a phenomenal game of football. And the young man says, coach, I don't know if you know this or not, but the games that I lost for us or the games you just made me, I rode the bench and you didn't play me, no matter what, my dad would come find me after every game and he'd give me a hug and tell me he loved me and how proud he was of me. And the coach said, man, you had a great dad. The young man said, thanks. And as the coach is walking away, the young man says, coach, I don't know if you know this or not, but my dad was blind and tonight's the first night he ever really got to see me play. And just like <laughs> that, just like that, I got relief because I know that every time I walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I say, my name's Jason Johnson, I'm an alcoholic. My grandma gets to see that. I know that every time I see a newcomer or a new person in there and I walk up to him, ask him if I can get a, coffee, a cup of coffee or sit by him, I, I, my grandma sees that. And I know that when I die, I'm going to go to that big meeting in the sky they talk about. I'm going there because I want to make sure there's a bill of Bob and a Jesus, right? If those three are there, <laughs> I'm going to let somebody know, right? But I know who's going to be in the parking lot waiting for me. It'll be my grandparents, right? They'll be waiting out there. And I know if you're, my grandpa thinks if you're not a half hour early, you're late, right? So I don't know how you could be early, late to your own death, but he'll wave at me because he doesn't think I ever know where I'm going. And because I've, <laughs> because I've been hugging the men and alcoholics and honest when it hasn't been convenient or necessary, for the first time in my life, I'm going to be able to hug my grandpa and tell him I love him and thank him for giving me a safe place to live. My grandma, on the other hand, she's probably dancing around praising Jesus and thanking God and telling my grandpa, I told you so. And I know what she's going to do. She's going to hug me. She's going to tell me she loves me. She's going to tell me she's proud of me. And for the first time in my life as an adult, sober male, I'm going to be able to look my grandma in the eye and say, Grandma, it's the damnedest thing. These people in this program called Alcoholics Anonymous, they found a solution to their problem and they introduced it to me. But most importantly, Grandma, some of those people showed me some grace. And in doing that, they introduced me to that kid inside of here that only you believed existed. That's what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. That's, that's what I've got. You know, I've never shared this story before, but I'll share it on here for you. And I'll end with this. You know, about three months ago, I had to go speak at a convention. It's, it's called the Indiana State Convention. It's all past delegates. It's all this. And, and look, I'm not that guy. I got kicked out of my GSR thing because I, yeah, I gave them my opinion and they didn't need it. But <laughs> I go to this convention. I'm the Saturday night speaker. And the only thing I have in common with me is the slogan to this meeting. This convention is a seat for everyone. So I was like, that makes me, that gives me a clear path, right? But I get up and I share my story. And at the end of my story, I don't know if you've been to conventions where people come up and they greet you afterwards, right? And so I'm standing in this line and, and, and I'm greeting people. And I look out this line, I see this lady and I catch eye contact with her, right? And so I look down because it was kind of awkward, right? And I look up and she's still looking at me, right? And I'm like, oh, man. So because like, you know, when you're, you're in these lines, 90% of the people are thanking you and 10% of the, of the people are going to give you their opinion, right? Sometimes it doesn't go really well, right? And so... <laughs> I'm, I'm watching this lady and she gets halfway up and she goes to the back of the line and then she does it again and she does it again, right? And finally it comes down and it's just her and I. And uh, she looks at me and she goes, man, I'm a grandma. Can I give you a hug? And I said, man, absolutely. I thought you were going to kill me is what I was thinking. And I give her a <laughs> hug and she tells me that she has a granddaughter out there that's running and gunning. And her brothers and sisters are saying she's doing some really bad things, but I love her and she's mine. Thank you for giving me some hope. Right. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm trying not to cry. And I, and I said, you're welcome. I hugged her again. And she says, you know why your grandma wrote all that stuff down in those books? I said, I don't know. I don't know if it was that, you know, that generation or what. She goes, that's not it. And I said, I asked my grandpa one time, but he'd started laughing and said he didn't know, but he was glad she did. And then he turned the channel to ESPN. Right. So <laughs> I, I go, I don't, I don't know. She goes, I know why your grandma wrote that stuff down. I go, why is that? 
She goes, because she knew no matter all the bad things people said about you and what you were doing, you, were, you would be the one to come back and make that right someday. Right? And I remember sitting there and I got goosebumps and it kind of did this. And she walked away and I looked at this guy that was like my host, you know, and he's a big, huge guy. And he's standing there and he's crying. He goes, man, I'm not crying because I'm sad. He goes, I'm crying because I felt that right here in my heart. He said, I felt that and I got goosebumps. And I could hear this guy, Howard P., saying, if you feel an emotion and you get goosebumps, that get, that's God tapping you on the shoulder telling you you're welcome. You know what I mean? And, and I hope my goal is today that I hope everybody that walks into the room of Alcoholics Anonymous someday gets moved to that emotion where they feel that gratitude inside, right? That's my blessing. You know, I end with this. Every day I get on my knees and I say the same thing. I say, my dear friend, if you see fit and it be thy will, I sure appreciate if I could stay in Alcoholics Anonymous another day. And I get up and I try to be the best member of AA I can. That's about all I got for you, buddy. So I guess since I got goosebumps when you were talking there toward the end, that was the God of my understanding in my life. Uh, and uh, I have so much enjoyed this. You know, it just occurred to me when you were talking and I didn't want to interrupt you at the time that, uh, well, first of all, the reason that we are talking to each other today was because a, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Carol L yeah. had reached out to me and she highly recommended you. Uh, she said, you should definitely get this guy on. Uh, I trusted her, um, reference and she had, um, sent me a message back, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago or so, because my, because I talked about it on the podcast, but my daughter had gone out and she had gotten a tattoo and I was going through all kinds of feelings about it. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, so she, she texted me that, uh, that, uh, information. And, uh, anyways, and now I get to meet you. Uh, I, I, I had forgotten who she was talking about, but as you were telling it, I knew, oh, that's who Carol was talking about. Yeah. So this has been fantastic, Jason. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I always end it with uh, page 164 from the big book. Uh, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. You talked about that at length. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Jason J, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, thank you so much, my friend. Once again, Mr. Jason J, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share your experience, strength, and hope with both me and the listeners. Um, that was truly inspiring. And remember, if you are out there, we don't want you sharing your um, gossip, nor do we want you sharing your toothbrush. But we would absolutely love for you to pause your device and share Jason's story with another, with a friend or family member. That story may be just what they need today. So pause your device, click that little share button and get it on over to them. Now on to a little bit of listener feedback. Mo writes in and Mo says, hi, John, this morning, like almost every morning for the last several years, I ended a Sober Speak podcast while walking my dogs, expecting the next one to auto start. Well, much to my disappointment, something different started up. I thought it was a glitch. And then I realized I had quote, caught up unquote, with all the episodes as I had started with number one and just kept listening. I am proud to have reached this, this present moment with Sober Speak, but 
At the same time, I'm bummed because now I have to wait for the next one to tell you how much Silverspeak has added to my sobriety toolbox. In fact, I am using Matthew M's 12 Surrender episodes with a sponsee, which is very special. I still remember the first episode and how they have changed over time. Yeah, they have. But whether it's the first or the 314th, they are all great. I know you also listen to various podcasts, so if you have any suggestions to add to my program, I'd appreciate it. My best, Mo. Well, Mo, thank you for the kind words. Uh, someday, you know, I'm hoping to get like a, a couple of these out a week when I have the the time. Uh, you know, these uh, old J-O-Bs just take uh, too much of your time, but I, who knows? Maybe I can just retire here one of these days and, and just start recording podcasts all the time. But nonetheless, you asked for some suggestions. I wrote you back. I'm just going to like say this to everybody else. I remember one of them I wrote back. It was a sober cast, uh, C-A-S-T, and that's a good one. They're more, they're, it's, it's speaker tapes, right? It's not really an interview style, but I think they do a good job there. Another one, especially if you're, uh, even if you're not in Al-Anon, I listen to this one. Uh, it's called The Recovery Show uh, by my friend Spencer. I think he does a fantastic job. He's got, I don't know, close to 400, over 400 episodes, I think. And you could re you could start at the beginning of his and spend a lot of time there. And I don't know, nothing else is coming to mind right now, but I'm sure there's a, a ton of them out there. I've seen them before. I just, you know, believe it or not, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts nowadays. When I first started doing this podcast, I listened to... Oh, gosh, I would listen to my podcast. I would listen to like every single inch of it to make sure that it was perfect and all that sort of stuff. I, I don't do that anymore. I would listen to a lot of other podcasts and I think I just got kind of burned out on it, but maybe I need to get back into that again and uh, uh, start listening to more, not only recovery podcasts, but I like other, but, but I like uh, uh, other genres as well. I just like saying the word genres just because it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it would be pronounced that way, right? When you see it spelled G-E-N-R-E-S, is that right? It doesn't seem like like by any stretch of the imagination, it would be, you'd say genres. But I, I, I'm so sorry, Mo. Uh, there I go off on a tangent. But God bless you, Mo. And uh, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you and your support throughout the years. Kevin writes in and Kevin says, Hi, John. I'm 45 from Dundee, Scotland. Oh, he's a Scot. He says, my sobriety date is the 1st of May, 2023. After struggling for 15 years of drinking and things progressively getting worse and worse, I had a moment of clarity and started back at AA. Since I've been sober, I've moved from a homeless accommodation to my own wee one bed rented flat. That's great. That's great. That is fantastic, Kevin. That just, I wish I could say Kevin's last name too, because it's so, I'm not going to, but it's so Scottish. Oh, it is like Scottish to the nth degree. Uh, you would know it if I said it, but nonetheless, he says, but he says, uh, 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 I'm not having uh, oh, since I've been sober, I've moved to, I've moved from a homeless accommodation. Oh, I already read that. And he says, I'm not, uh, I'm not having contact with any of my five children, three girls and two, two boys. But now that I'm sober, I'm able to help their moms financially. And I hope I can become part of their lives. God willing. I'm so grateful to my sponsor, Kirsten and for Dundee number three group where I now chair two meetings. So that's kind of cool. They have their, so it's in Dundee. I guess they have Dundee number one, two, three, four, five. That would make it easy, right? Um, maybe we should do that like in New York, right? <laughs> 
or in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, you'd have Los Angeles number one up to about 600 or something like that. But uh, anyway, uh, oh, what would happen if one dropped out of the mix? You know, like number 320, like I guess you'd just go from 319 to 321 and, you know, we'd say, hey, what happened to 320? And, uh, you know, there'd be a story behind it. But nonetheless, I'm if you're over there and Scotland right now and you're listening to this and you're part of Dundee number three group well by God give uh, Kevin a big old hug for us and tell him we appreciate him listening but anyway Kevin goes on and he says I've listened to a lot of episodes while I love all of your guests I've really enjoyed the three episodes with Joe Hawk thanks so much for your service Kevin well Kevin Hang on to your seat because we more have more Joe Hawk coming out in the future. I don't have an exact date for it yet or not, but I don't know. It's probably, probably sometimes over the next couple of months. Uh, uh, he actually has 12 recordings, and I plan on putting all of them out there. You know, I, I just can't do all 12 in a row. I want to give everybody a little, I don't know, a little, uh, a little variety, a little spice of life, if you will. Thank you, Kevin, for writing in. Richard, hi, Richard, writes in and he says, Hi, John. Thank you for the ad to the Facebook group. I appreciate it. Well, Richard, my friend, the pleasure is all ours. I'm glad you're in the... Oh, you know what other thing I, I meant to mention here is that, uh, and I forgot to say this back on the beginning. By the way, if you want to be part of the Facebook group, go to your Facebook application and search up Sober Speak Secret Group and ask for admission into the group and we will get you in there. But one thing I forgot to mention, I'm sorry, this has nothing to do with Richard saying, I'll get back to him in a second, is that I forgot to mention that our Instagram, if you're not following us on Instagram, that's another place, the gram, as cool people say. If you're not following us on Instagram, it'd be great if you go over there. It's at Sober Speak, all one word. And we just had 1,000 posts. Just past that milestone, that mark of 1,000 posts. And I say we... (laughs) That's a generous we. And what I mean by that is... Cassandra, who is a friend of the show and just does this on her own time. I'm so, so grateful for her. Cassandra, because I, it's not Cassandra, it's Cassandra, but I always, I, I, I get that, you know, kind of, uh, um, I always make that mistake. But anyway, Cassandra actually, made, I think I've made two of the thousand posts. <laughs> Something like that. So she has made those posts for years now. And she just does it out of the goodness of her heart. And I'm so grateful for her. But we have a thousand posts on Instagram now. So get over there and look at all those thousand posts. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, um, Cassandra makes all the posts, but I am the one who monitors all the the DMs, the direct messages. Uh, So if you're uh, uh, direct messaging on Instagram, uh, it's coming to me. But anyway, uh, uh, back to Mr. Richard. He says, Hi, John. Thank you for the ad to the Facebook group. I really appreciate it. He says, I'm from Atlanta, Hotlanta, they call it, and 912 days of sobriety, ODAT, one day at a time, through the 12 steps of, L- of AA, as well as a loving God. My home group, my home on, oh, my home online group is AA homegroup.org. And so if you're looking for something online, there's a uh, choice for you. Once again, it's aahomegroup.org. And he says it's a 24 by 7 times 365 group. AA Traditions uh, based Zoom platform created during the COVID pandemic by alcoholics. He says, I am a trusted servant on that platform. I also participate in Recovering North Point, which is a scripture-based meeting in person uh, and virtual that uses the AA 12 Steps and sponsorship. We are more specific in discussion of the highest power God. So there's another, I don't know, you probably looked that up on the internet, I'm assuming, uh, if you're interested in something like that, it's a Recovering, recovering North Point. Uh, then he goes on to say, I have a sponsor who knows my name. 
<laughs> and I am sponsoring. <laughs> I think that's kind of like a, a little ingest thing. Like, like there's some people who have sponsors who, who don't even... I've, I've had people come up to me before and they say, hey, I heard you're so-and-so sponsor. And I'm like, who? <laughs> they have to describe them to me. <laughs> I'm like, I talked to that guy one day at a meeting. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never talked to him. I mean, oh gosh. So then anyway, he says, anyway, I have a sponsor who knows my name. He says, I found Sober Speak searching for sobriety podcasts. I have heard and that uh, of the, oh, of the speakers that really resonated, resonated with me are Scott L and Milt L. I wonder if he's prejudiced to people with the last name L. Uh, I don't know. We're going to have to check this guy out. Anyway, he says, in service, Richard T. in Hotlanta. Whoa, thank you for writing in, Richard T. And uh, I'm glad that you are. What am I glad about? I, I got to finish that sentence. Okay, so I, I started it with... <laughs> really thinking about what I was going to say, but I am glad that you have a sponsor. And I also am glad that you, you know, you, you, you know, when AA we say the, um, uh, we only know a little, right? And everybody gets sober in different ways. And I like, I think it's kind of cool that you were mixing in a couple of different groups and you got some online stuff and you know, you're just, you're, you're, uh, you have variety and you're, you are choosing the path that works for you. That's what I'm happy about Richard T. All right, Melinda writes in and he says, uh, she says, I am Melinda B. Why Melinda B? I'm John M. I live in Lynchburg, Virginia. Says, I just celebrated my three-year anniversary on October 3rd. Although I live in Lynchburg, I am associated with District 30 in Fredericksburg, a three-hour drive from me. Long story on how I became associated with them, but I am the website coordinator and I run the slides for many Zoom meetings in addition to leading. I love service work. I learned about you, John M. and Soberspeak through a link from the web Oh, while looking for meeting topics. Thanks. So she found us through... Uh, going to some of our, going to our website, and uh, we have some. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, we, we have a, a an article on the website about um, a meeting topics. You know, for people who are searching for meeting topics, and it sounds like that var is where she found us. All right, everybody, guess what? That's a wrap. Uh, we have episode number what three seventeen now in the books in the can, if you will. I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week. Uh, hope you're back next week as well. So I'm not just sitting here doing this by myself. Well, I do it by myself, but I don't want to just put it out for absolutely nobody to listen. That'd be kind of a drag, right? So I hope you're back next week as well. Uh, and I always say at the end of these things, um, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And May God bless you and keep you until then. See you next time, hopefully. God bless.